0: Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello,
1: my friends. Thanks for listening to the EO Podcast. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. If you're involved in ESOP World, chances are you know me as the host of this podcast since 2017, or as the co-founder and former managing director of CAP Trustees, or possibly is the voice of Troy McClure on numerous episodes of The Simpsons. If you're involved in the greater employee ownership world outside of Esops, chances are you don't know me at all, but you're pretty certain the late, great Phil Hartman was the voice of Troy McClure. Either way, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll agree that we have a great episode uh, planned for you today. We have our regular features, shoutouts, thanks, and congratulations, as well as we got tagged, and I'm very excited to bring you part one of my conversation with Jim Bonham, President and CEO of the Sub Association. Jim's going to discuss the upcoming National Technical Conference in Las Vegas in November, and that will be coming up in just a bit. Folks, I hope you're having as great a week as I am. As this episode is released, the KeySop Group website is now live at www.keysop.com, and on Wednesday, September 24th, I return to Denver and open the KeySop Group's brand-new office and podcast recording studio in the Denver Tech Center. Meanwhile, as I'm recording this today, I'm actually at a Hampton Inn in St. Louis, St. Charles, Missouri, and uh, they've done the best, the team here, to provide me quiet space. But if you hear a little bit of traffic or other noise, I apologize, and next episode will be recorded in the studio. A A few weeks back on episode 82, I shared my view on how we could create more opportunities for emerging professional advisors through a professional advisors mentoring program. I've spoken in the past on podcasts and at conferences about how difficult it is for emerging advisors to gain traction when trying to build their ESOP or EO-related career. This extreme difficulty is an impediment to creating employee ownership. We need to help those emerging advisors find their seat at the table, and we need them to send, uh, we need them, to send them out to find new transactions and new EO opportunities. I'd like to share some relevant career information about me that will help you understand my perspective. I entered ESOP World in 2008 when we started the process that resulted in a company with $20 million annual revenue and 50 employees to become a 100% employee-owned S-Corp. Shortly after the transaction, I started with the company as Senior Vice President and General counsel, and from the latter part of 2009 until I left the company in early 2012, I was President and CEO of this employee-owned company. In August 2012, Rich Heater, who was the trustee at the company I ran, he and I formed Capital Trustees, a boutique ESOP fiduciary firm. When I left the firm in June 2019, I'd, I'd have participated as of then as trustee in approximately 130 transactions, the vast majority of which created new employee-owned companies. We also had approximately 40 ongoing annual clients. That's approximately 170 engagements that we had to go through an RFP process to be hired. And although we had a pretty successful closing rate of 70 to 75%, that would still over seven years add approximately 30 to 40 potential clients that we weren't retained for. The reason I bring this up is CAP trustees had to build itself and I had about 210 client opportunities or opportunities with professionals to build the practice. We built capital trustees from scratch. I'll let the success of capital trustees speak for itself, but for the emerging professionals who are listening to this, I just want you to know that I've been where, uh, where you're at and what you're going through, and I want you to succeed. I know what you're saying. Brett, you're a passionate advocate for employee ownership. Why do you want me to succeed? What's in it for you? Well, you may have already noticed you're not paying for this podcast, There's no advertising on the podcast. At the end of the podcast, you can't go and buy things at my store. So why do I want to help the emerging advisors? Two reasons. If you help grow employee ownership, that helps all of us. My goal in forming the Keysop Group was not to provide this product or that product. It was to help grow employee ownership, and I want you folks to be successful. The other reason, quite frankly, and this is selfish as it relates to the podcast, I am hoping that as you go out and make your name and fortune in employee ownership and the ESOP world, if you heard any hints that uh, were helpful here, I'd appreciate it if you'd come on and talk to me about them. All right, back to the uh, conversation. Last week at the multi state conference, where I recorded uh, the conversation with Jim Bonham, I attended the evening reception, uh, and most of the employee owners and professional advisors uh, were at the reception who were at the conference. At one point, there was a professional advisor standing by themselves at the edge of the crowd, just sort of taking everything in. Now, folks, I have a lot of conversations with people. Sometimes I say, hey, do you mind if I share this? Other times, they're just talking to Brett. So I want to share the story of the conversation. I don't want to identify the professional advisor without their permission. So I'm going to call the professional advisor TAVA, T-A-V-A, Trustee Attorney Valuation Advisor. And this way, there's no gender. So Tav and I were standing at the outside of uh, the reception, kind of on the edges of the group. I'll be honest with you, uh, at these receptions and public gatherings, some people are surprised to hear, I get a little bit of social anxiety. The other thing uh, is ever since the seventh grade uh, dance in junior high school, and since then, I've also been the guy standing on the edge looking at the crowds. So many conferences, I've uh, seen people and just struck up conversations, and the conversation I'm gonna tell you about, which happened last week, I've actually had maybe a half dozen times at different conferences in the last year and a half. And if you're an emerging advisor, it's probably gonna sound familiar. So Tava was standing uh, by themselves and I stepped up and uh, Tava seemed a little bit down. And as we chatted, how's it going? And I'd worked with Tava's firm a little bit, not Tava, Tava's an emerging professional. I had worked with the uh, firm principal, but I knew Tava. Tava seemed a little bit down and I asked what was wrong. And they said, looking at everybody, I just don't know if there's any reason for me to come to conferences. I'm here trying to build my practice, but it's really hard to make progress. They looked at the employee owners surrounded by other employee owners and lots of professional advisors, and Tava said, I'm trying to get hired by companies who come to these conferences, but the companies that come to the conferences usually are the ones that have the advisors already in place. And then Tava pointed out something that I give Tava a lot of credit for. They said, And the advisors at these conferences are top-notch professional advisors. So not only do these companies have advice readily available, but it's top-quality advice. Tava wasn't sure if uh, they should move away from conferences in general, how to determine uh, which conferences to go, that sort of thing. But the concern Tava expressed is a concern I've also heard many times before, and CAP trustees, frankly, we went through it as well. Tava's afraid that if they don't attend the conferences, Tava and their firm will become invisible because not attending conferences seems to imply that you're somehow out of the ESOP game. Look, if you're serious about building an ESOP practice, uh, you simply have to attend professional conferences. You really must. As to which organization, state or national, or how many conferences you attend, it's obviously up to you and your budget. If you have limited opportunities, Perhaps I'd suggest a national and a regional or state conference each year. If you only have the ability to do one conference a year, first of all, very sincerely, question your commitment to employee ownership. Second of all, decide on your resources whether it's better to have regional or national. If you end up, for example, just kind of rotate. If you can only get a couple of conferences in, split them between the ESOP Association and NCO, state and national, just to get a breadth of experience. In capital trustees, my partner and I shared the revenue that came into the firm equally. We went to all of the conferences together and participated in all of the RFP processes. Because we shared the revenue equally, it didn't matter where a referral came from or which one of us received it. Our practice at the time primarily was in the New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area, which is part of the multi-state conference. Um, and and at the 2015 multi-state conference, a number of professional advisors, referral sources, came up to May and said, great news, we have an opportunity for CAP trustees. We've already told your partner about it. Now, this might sound odd. I didn't make any more or less money that they went to my partner rather than me. I guess it was a little bit of competitive, and quite frankly, I wanted to be the one that uh, took the lead on uh, some of our transactions and, and, and projects, and that we did often determine on who had first touch with a potential client. So as I realized that a lot of the referral sources were the same person, uh, people my partner was dealing with, I wanted to find a way to, to broaden my own horizon with CAP trustees. So I started going to the Great Lakes Conference in 2015. For a couple of years, I went there by myself, Frankly, we built up our practice area in the Great Lakes states, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, etc., Kentucky, that Rich and I, for the last two or three years, went to the conferences together. But my whole point is, I started off feeling a little uh, clogged, if you will, uh, not being able to make the most of my own networking opportunities, so I went to a conference away from my firm. As of 2018, by the way, CAP Trustees became a gold sponsor of the uh, New England chapter of the ESOP Association. So we've maintained a very strong presence in each of the chapters that represented our footprint. We understood how important it was to our practice for us to attend the conferences. We certainly presented it as many as we could, and we let people know that we were frequent uh, conference attendees and presenters. But we discovered as many of today's Emerging professionals are discovering that attendance at conferences are important for client development, networking with professionals, and really importantly, keeping up to date on uh, legal and regulatory issues that are at the heart of a well-run ESOP. But for the first three or four years, nobody ever came up to us at a conference and simply said, nice to meet you, I want to hire you. It's all been part of a building process. Once your practice reaches a certain size, there are immediate opportunities that will present themselves at a conference. Usually, these occur 60 to 90 days before year-end or the close of a quarter when selling shareholders and their advisors are highly motivated to complete a transaction by a certain deadline. And to be honest with you, if you're available uh, and good and competent, you may be able to get a work like that. But if you think early in your practice development that you'll meet either a company or advisor who's going to hire you on the spot, then respectfully, you're not really conferencing right. You certainly want to get in front of as many of the company advisors as you can. And to be honest with you, if you are persistent, it really isn't that hard to get in front of an advisor or a company. might take three months, six months, or 12 months, but you can do it. Hopefully, you agree that conferences are a necessary part of your practice development. Before I give you some other suggestions beyond just uh, attending conferences, I do want to uh, bring the interview with Jim Bonham of the SOP Association. But first...
0: Shoutouts, thanks, and congratulations.
1: I'd like to give a shout-out and thank you to Karen Kahn, who's a writer, editor, activist, and nonprofit communications consultant. I've never met Karen in real life. I know her simply through Twitter and social media. I can tell from her social media posts and interactions that she and I seem to have the belief that a lot of the issues that are important to us in the world and in our country can be addressed by employee ownership. Karen is one of the people, and I've talked about others, that post a lot of different things, and I just really admire her viewpoint and uh, perspective and her take. And if you follow what issues are important to her, I think you get a pretty good feel, uh, first of all, for Karen, but also some important issues that you should focus as well. Karen's been discussing on social media lately uh, the... complete lack of attention MBA grad schools uh, are paying to uh, ESOPs and employee ownership. Appreciate your viewpoint, and hopefully at some point we can connect and uh, figure out other things we agree on. Next, I want to give a shout out, thanks, and congratulations to Melanie Metalonis of ESOP Partners. I've known Melanie for five or six years now, although frankly, in real life, most of our conversations are five or ten seconds long waving to each other at conferences as we pass by. But she has a very strong social media presence, and I've always been a big fan of uh, Melanie and what she does. She was a long-time employee owner at Hypertherm, and uh, more recently, in the last year or so, joined ESOP Partners, which is a great firm in itself. So she went from being an employee owner to working very hard to grow the employee owner uh, sandbox for all of us. Meanwhile, She's just a wonderful person, refreshing. She's authentic, really passionate about employee ownership, and I wanted to give her a shout out. Congratulations also to her firm, Aesop Partners. Aaron Junkett and his team have just built a great organization. They have a brand new office in um uh, Wisconsin, I believe Appleton, Uh, they've got an open house in early October, and I just couldn't be more pleased for the uh, firm's success, for the people involved with the firm, great people doing great things for employee ownership. With that, James Bonham is the president and CEO of the ESOP Association, headquartered in Washington, D.C., following the... May National Conference in DC. Jim was kind enough to sit down with us for an episode of the Minicast, and we greatly appreciate uh, Jim sitting down with us for this conversation. We have a lot of respect for Jim personally for the work he has to do, and if anybody's going to help everyone grow the Employee Ownership Sandbox, it certainly is gonna be the president and CEO of the sub Association. So with that, here's Jim Bonham. So Jim, as we're sitting down here today, you're about six months into your term. Uh, it certainly has been a very active six months. Everybody who's followed the association, you've got websites, you've got great stuff. Why don't you tell us uh, how you think your six months have gone?
2: Um, well, it's not really for me to evaluate how we've done. Um, I think that it's been, it's been busy, I'll tell you that much. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, this, the six months has gone by very quickly. Um, first two months or so was spent uh, setting up the Washington D.C. National Conference, which is a very important conference for not just the ESOP Association, but the entire employee ownership community, because that's when the largest number of employee owners descend upon Washington D.C. to advocate on behalf of employee owners. And we had almost 850 people come to Washington this year. And when you have that kind of a presence in Washington, it it makes an impact. Next year uh, at our national conference, it's going to be exponentially more than that, not in terms of necessarily the numbers, because we're actually maxed out in terms of our capacity at the hotel, but in terms of what we're going to be doing both with the Congress and the administration to start pushing forward a positive legislative agenda. But since then, uh, we Finished, we wrapped up uh, DC and we immediately went into the planning phase for Las Vegas. And it, one of the commitments that I made to myself when I took this job was that I was going to visit an event for every one of our 18 chapters within the first year of my uh, time with the association. And that was an important commitment to me personally, but it's also important because I need to get out and meet the membership. And the membership needs to meet me. Um, I, I said in my comments this morning to the conference that I don't come back from a conference without getting new ideas, without picking up some new nugget that I then take back to Washington and say to the staff, you know, hey, we need to do something about this, or I got this great idea. Uh, and we try to put it into our plan making. Uh, so now we're heading into the, uh, the fall uh, chapter conference season, and it all leads up to and culminates with the uh, the big conference in Las Vegas in November. Um, and at the same time, we are executing uh, not only what I would call a digital transformation of the association, but we're also executing a lot of big decisions that the board of directors made uh, both in May and in August, and those are going to start rolling out here over the next few weeks and months, to help streamline and make the organization more efficient and effective for all of our members.
1: Jim, let me do this. You've teed up a number of things, and quite frankly, if you had the time... I'd be happy to do an hour on each of the things that you've teed up. Um, one of the things that struck me uh, before, what I'd like to do is have you talk about Vegas and then maybe some of the big initiatives, but I want to chat about that conference because registration is still wide open, hotels, Absolutely. et cetera, et cetera. But um, when you talk about getting something from uh, the membership, your, your constituents, if you will, it occurred to me that for seven years through capital trustees, I've been a professional advisor, and I'd come to the conferences, and I'd interact primarily with custom, uh, professional advisors. And now in the last four months, as my focus with the KeySop group has been talking to employee owners, I'm certainly more focused on the employee owners who are coming to the conferences. But all of them, you have, and, and professional advisors have one set of talents and offerings that benefit and needs. The employee owners are hungry for knowledge and and camaraderie and that kind of thing. And you do have to juggle, it's not all of the competing needs, but all of the time, interests, desires, et cetera, and you look at all
2: of it. Yeah, we do. And, and, you know, the the ESOP Association, we have two large brackets of membership types. We have uh, the the corporate membership, uh, so all of the companies that have ESOPs. And, of course, in that corporate membership, every employee at the company is a member of the ESOP Association. They're also a member of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, that you join the ESOP Association and you get it all. Um, and then the other big category is, of course, a, a professional membership. And the professional membership is comprised of all of those individuals and businesses that provides professional services so that ESOPs can continue and prosper and, and, and be successful and to form new ESOPs. Uh, so that's obviously an important constituency for all of us as well. Um, professionals provide a lot of the content for our conferences and for our programs. And you know, one of the things that I do like to remind people uh, is that that content and that knowledge and that skill set These are professionals, and if you're paying their bills by the hour, you know how much it's worth. Um, So I always appreciate the time and commitment that they put into our conferences. You know, at the same time, uh, as I know that you care passionately about, uh, it's really about the employees. At the end of the day, that's what everything boils down to. This is about providing an opportunity to own a stake in the place where you work, and the benefits that that provides to us as a society, the benefits it provides to our economy, and the benefits it provides to the companies that these employees own. Um, So at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. And, uh,
1: you know, again, as I veer off a little bit, and then I'm going to go back to Vegas, but that was was very helpful. Um, You and I, and we don't know each other well. I've seen you speak. I follow you, certainly, on social media. We spent a little bit of time in May, and maybe you've come across me. but I think we are in very strong agreement and some of your career background that brought you here. Employee ownership, wherever you come from, actually truly helps address a lot of the serious issues that that we're concerned about as Americans and as citizens and in our communities. And at lunch, it was talking of, it is the wealth inequality. It's the gender uh, uh, issues at work or minority presence at work. And we happen to have a model that we believe in that truly really is
2: good for our country and our communities. Yeah, Well, it's it's interesting. I'm thinking back to a conversation I had, I guess it was about three years ago now, with a fellow named Brian Graff. And Brian is the uh, president and CEO of the American Retirement Association, which is an umbrella association for a lot of the other types of retirement plans, 401Ks and uh, different types of pension plans. And Brian and I were talking about ERISA uh, and the problems it was trying to solve back in the early 1970s, and the reality is, is that over its 45-year history, in many ways ERISA has eroded the retirement security of a lot of Americans, because the effect of the law was a almost near elimination of the defined benefit pension plan, and the replacement of it with a defined contribution pension, and the difference being who holds the risk. and for a defined benefit plan the company holds the risk over the long term that when you retire you will get a guaranteed benefit for the rest of your life with defined contribution uh, the risk is borne entirely by the employee the unique production out of ERISA was actually ESOPs because with ESOPs not only do uh, you get the benefit of the equity that you're gaining in, in your employment uh, through the shares that you own in the ESOP Trust, but almost all of our ESOPs, and we strongly encourage this, also have 401Ks. Right, right. So if you think of the, you know, the, the traditional three-legged stool for retirement security, um, you know, it's your social security, it's your uh, pension, uh, and it's your personal savings. So for us, it's that pension. In many ways, is your ESOP. But for most Americans, not only don't you have a pension, but the average savings in a four hundred one k is around six thousand dollars. Right. Um, that's not enough to retire on. So getting back to your question about uh, uh, wealth and income inequality, the opportunity to grow real wealth uh, as an owner of shares in the business where you work, it's real. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a major issue that the, the employee ownership community, the ESOP community, is starting to grapple with because we're getting uh, 45-year-old ESOPs where you have an entire generation of employees who are starting to retire. Right. And you know, I was talking to one uh, business, uh, I won't say who they were, but uh, they're here in Pennsylvania and they have shop workers Whose repurchase obligation, uh, you know, the, the the value of the stock that their uh, company needs to buy from them when they retire, it's not just in the seven figures. You know, it's not a, a million dollars. It's got one. It's got twos and threes in front of it. And or often
1: a number of employees where, exactly. where it's really huge. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And these shop workers, they're coming up and they're saying, listen, when when you first started talking to me 20 years ago about this whole ESOP thing, I thought it was all funny money. But this is real. I'm actually going to get this, aren't I? And they, they, they can't believe it. And Jim, you
1: probably, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet yet, but Rob Zaccaro is very well known in the ESOP world, and he's on your website. He spoke before President Clinton in 1996, and there's video of him, and Rob, I know this isn't on your uh, radar, but two weeks ago, I'm very proud, on our ESOP minicast on Fridays, Rob's Daily Food for Thought, he's now doing an audio version. So he's coming on, he's done a Daily Food for Thought on Twitter and LinkedIn, but on his story, and he was a press operator, a machine operator at Web Industries mm-hmm. for his career, and it was south of a million dollars, the check that that he got upon retirement, or his retirement benefit, and he talked about the number on his podcast, but he's now a singer-songwriter, travels the country, does a little bit of speaking about Aesop's, mm-hmm. and the important thing, he's doing cool content that I like. But his life is made possible because he was an employee owner. And that's what right. we remember, that ultimately, I did a lot of transactions as cap trustees. It's one of those, what are you going to think about when you look back? It's actually the employee owners that we helped participate. And that's, right. that's who you're talking about as well. Right, exactly. Let's uh, go to uh, Las Vegas. I know the uh, uh, time's a little bit short. Uh, big conference coming up, and, and Jim, is part of it, you have three keynoters that I think are just amazing, and they seem a little different from what we've seen at conferences. <laughs> so do me a favor. Tell a little bit about them, but yeah. I'd also love to know your thinking on bringing them in.
2: Well, you know, it, it, it's not just about the uh, the keynotes that, that we have coming in. Um, Las Vegas... Uh, the ESOP Association's Vegas conference has always been known for being the most technical uh, content uh, available for any of the conferences nationwide. Um, we tend to get a very high uh, proportion of uh, CEOs, C-suites, um, senior managers who are coming to really learn about the technical aspect of, uh, of managing an ESOP, Um, managing your RPO, um, really understanding how it all works. Um, And we're maintaining all of that really top-flight content. But as we started to think about the conference, and as I have been traveling around the country um, with fresh eyes on this community, it became really apparent to me, based upon my experience in other trade associations, that we were really behind the times, that our conferences were not following best practices and they weren't living up to the caliber of conferences that our own membership is experiencing through their other trade associations. So if you are, just
1: so that I've got this, if you happen to be in the uh, uh, construction field and you're going off to a construction services trade show, you're getting the whiz, the bangs, the boom, and at ours, the ESOP Association, uh, and it's funny how we're all vested. You're the CEO of it, right. I just realized I said ours, because we all feel that we're a part of it. But here you're getting tremendous technical knowledge, right. but you didn't have the rock stars like you brought to Washington, D.C. Well, Not again it's right. a great example, but the presence, yeah. the, the right. memorable stuff.
2: Right. I mean, for, for best practices in conference management now, it's at a national level. It's a little bit different when you're doing um, local or regional conferences, but at the national level, uh, the, the best practices, it's all about... The experience that the conference attendee has from the beginning to the end. So you think about all right, what's the journey that you want a person to go through when they come and attend this conference? Um, so in Washington this year, it was about change. That was the theme was really about change. And there was it, it, it was unmistakable because Uh, We had uh, a a generational change between Michael Keeling and and myself at the top of the the organization. We also had significant change happening at, at our board of directors. Um, with Gary Shorman coming in and taking over as, as chair of the board,
1: who apparently did a nationwide motorcycle ride on a whole. Yeah, not nationwide. He just, I just want to shout out. What well, a cool was,
2: guy. Yeah, it was. It was pretty amazing. I was following him on the whole trip. He just finished up on Sunday. He his goal was to finish the race, um, not win the race, and he finished the race. Um, and uh, you know, you can go and. Go that, "Well, we'll him.
1: tell yeah, Gary." i just saying, your guy. chair is a really cool guy doing great stuff.
2: Well, and and we're all lucky to have him and the other uh, sure. volunteer leaders on on the board. So when I started thinking about Las Vegas, when the when the team started making our making the plans, um, we it's changed up a lot. You know, it used to be just a two day conference. It would start Thursday morning. It would run to Friday afternoon. It is now a solid three day conference. Um, the, we have pre sessions beginning at noon on Wednesday. Um, historically, we've done the big cocktail reception that was, ironically called the welcome reception. But it was on Thursday night after half the conference was over. So I thought, well, that seems. So I thought, well, why don't we uh, have the welcome reception on the first day? So we're having a big uh, cocktail reception on the first day, and we're going to have a lot of fun with that. You you were in DC; we had fun with our reception there. Absolutely, and I just want to pause for
1: just a moment because at the DC conference, and indeed on the mini cast you were in, we both spoke high praise to Michael Keeling and and his stewardship that got us to you. But the welcome on day two, and we talk about it in this business world, is, well, that's the way we've always done it kind of thing with the fresh yeah. set of eyes. So in other words, kudos to Michael Keeling, but there's stuff you can fresh him up and a welcome right. at the beginning. Just great job.
2: So, so we'll have the welcome in. Welcome on on, uh, on Wednesday evening. And that's also there's also a, a purpose to that as well. Um, as I was reading through, I, I, I read all of the comments from previous con- conferences And one of the complaints was that uh, on Thursday morning, there was a huge crush of people trying to register before the opening sessions. So we're trying to advance that, let people register on Wednesday. So we're opening registration at noon on Wednesday so that we don't have this um, traffic jam of people trying to get their credentials. And it's great because... You're doing the traffic movement. Mm-hmm. You're doing, I mean, everything, right. and this ties into the
1: best. And I've never thought about your conferences and the best practices content, so I love
2: yeah.
1: I, I love even that you're describing that. So,
2: so then uh, uh, after the reception on Thursday evening, I know a lot of professional firms, a lot of uh, companies like to go and do their own thing, so they're going to be off doing their, their traditional events on Thursday after we're done um, and or on Wednesday after we're done with our reception. And Thursday morning, um, our lead-off speaker um, – it's hard to describe Sekou. Uh, his name is Seiku Andrews, and his billing is the world's leading poetic voice. Now, you know, what the hell does that have to do with employee ownership? So Seiku is all about uh, helping people find their authentic voice so that they can lead other people. Um, and I've seen him speak twice, uh, once was at the White House uh, and once was at a, a major national trade conference. And both times I left that experience going, I'm not sure exactly what just happened to me, but wow, I really like it. And I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time to come. Um, he, is, uh, he is an absolutely disruptive speaker. So if you're a little sleepy after Wednesday night in Las Vegas, uh, after his speech is over, you won't be sleepy anymore. <laughs> um, and he's a, he's a phenomenal speaker. And uh, uh, so after Seku, then we'll go into our concurrent sessions. Um, we've got two of them that morning. Uh, at lunchtime on that day, um, we've just locked in a fellow named Seth uh, Madison. Um, Seth is a, uh, a, a, another just tremendous speaker and uh, thought leader on generational and technological transformation. Um, we are at a very unique juncture in our society's journey. Um, we have massive generational change happening right now between baby boomers and you know, Gen Xers and millennials. Um, within the next two years, millennials will become the majority of the workforce. Uh, and you have that change happening at the same time that you have massive technological change uh, and the speed of the, the change in technology just continues to accelerate. Um, and the implications for that uh, for your businesses are profound. And Seth's going to come talk about that for an hour. Um, he's very high energy, another really just terrific speaker. And then the, the, the third keynote speaker that we'll have is going to be on Friday morning, um, Erica Dewan, And Erica is a, a brilliant scholar to begin with. But she is uh, the leading expert on, on what she has coined and what is now widely called connectional intelligence. And connectional intelligence is about harnessing the networks both inside your organization and the networks external to your organization to provide you know, the maximum benefit for the enterprise. And she's going to teach us about how to make, use that connectional intelligence. Uh, in, in ways to advance employee ownership. Um, she's uh, you know, She's been a, pr- a professor at, at Harvard. She's been um, a, a presenter f- for the, the uh, Global Economic Forum. I and mean, She's been at the Aspen Institute. She's just a terrific speaker and, and, and thought leader. Um, and those are the three keynote speakers. But there's also another really interesting thing that we're going to be doing this year that's never been done before. We've completely redesigned uh, what was sort of originally thought of as the trade show space or the the, the, the vendor space. And you, you, you go to our chapter or regional conferences, and everybody puts out their uh, their table and their cloth and, and, and brochures. And just
1: kind of been a giant room without right. a whole lot.
2: That's not what it is this year. Please, um, tell us if you will. So uh, embedded right in the heart of, well, first of all, you, you have to go through this space to get to the main stage. Oh, very cool. Um, so uh, the foot traffic is going to be massive. We should point out, and you... you may have, forgive me, uh, but at
1: the Paris this year, which is a great uh, right. venue. We switched over to, well, we were at Paris two years ago. I keep saying the we. Yeah. Uh, uh, back to Caesars Palace. But it's Palace. in Paris, it's which in is Paris a beautiful, uh, beautiful venue for the conference.
2: It is. And, and this year we have, we've leased out the entire conference space.
1: All right, that's part one of our conversation with Jim Bonham. I really appreciate, Jim, you're sitting down with me, and uh, we'll bring uh, part two about the Las Vegas conference next week. Folks, uh, I've already registered for the Las Vegas conference. It's uh, being held at Paris, as you've heard about. It's just gonna be amazing. So uh, take a look at your schedules, your travel budget, great conference to go to. All right, I would like to wrap up by giving a couple of suggestions to the emerging advisors on how they might be able to get some traction. I'm gonna give three different examples for valuation advisors, one from my experience in CAP Trustees, one from my experience with the podcast, and one that's going on right now. All of these are going to be related to valuation advisors. I'm also gonna keep these short and sweet because I do have about four or five more in-depth suggestions. I've already recorded them. And much to my surprise, as we began to edit this episode, we were well over an hour. So I'm going to take a, a couple of hints, break them down very concisely, give you a couple of ideas. And then next week's podcast, we're going to have the second part of the interview with Jim Bonham. And I'll flesh out some more thoughts on what you might be able to do to break out of the pack, as it were, of professional advisors. One, there was a valuation advisor who reached out to CAP trustees about three or four years ago. A legal case had just come down. I believe it was called SPJ. And this valuation advisor reached out and said, hey, could she put on a lunch and learn program just for my partner and I? She wanted to brief us on SPJ. And here's the important thing. She wanted to make sure she understood the significance of the decision to the trustees because it's the trustee who has the uh, fiduciary liability. So we, get, we got a number of uh, uh, calls and emails and that sort of things from attorneys any time a major case came out. We were on several lists where, where lawyers just update their clients or colleagues on uh, new matters, and we got that. Why did we take the time to uh, uh, sit through this with a valuation advisor? because she stressed she wanted to make sure she understood it from our perspective and it was in our best interest. Great way to break out of the pack. It's another valuation advisor. I've talked about him on the podcast. He's got a passion for forecasting, not a wonky... Uh, academia-driven passion, but rather a working grasp of knowledge. He can explain forecasting in very simple terms. He can explain the importance of it, and his passion is understanding why forecasting is uh, um, an important tool for businesses and not something that should be viewed as a penalty. So now, great valuation advisor, great, frankly, full-service CPA firm, But he's carved off a little bit of niche for being able to explain forecasting. I'm going to give you a third example from a valuation advisor who seems to be doing a number of right things on how to network. Uh, I'm speaking of Jennifer Krieger, who is a valuation advisor with Weaver CPAs out of Texas. I met Jen last May at the uh, ESOP Association Conference in Washington, D.C., We stayed at the same hotel a couple of blocks away from the conference center, happened to meet her in the lobby of the hotel. I was rushing uh, to record a podcast. I was kind of in a hurry, saw that we were at the same conference. We chatted for just a moment. Frankly, I was a mess. And later that evening, I got a very nice email from Jen saying that as evaluation advisor, she was pleased to meet me and that perhaps we might be able to uh, connect. Well, about a week and a half after that, I. sold my interest in cap trustees, and I saw Jennifer on LinkedIn and a little bit on social media, hadn't really talked. During uh, last week, during the multi-state conference, Jen was at NCEO, and Jen sent me an email. And the email said, hey, if you're going to be in Vegas, I'd like to see if there are opportunities between the KeySop group and Weaver, and could we sit down in Vegas? Jen did exactly what you're supposed to do with networking. Here's where sometimes lightning does strike a little bit, if I may be so bold to use that bold as as to use that example here. I got Jen's email on Wednesday at the uh, multi-state conference, Wednesday actually uh, in the evening. I immediately called her office and said, Jen, of course I remember meeting you. By the way, when she reached out the second time, it had been four months. Very smart. I remembered her, but her email said, Brett, you may recall we met at the hotel lobby, blah, 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 blah. Great networking. Anyway, I reached out left Jen a voice message. Jen, I see from social media you're at NCO. Could you possibly record a two or three minute update for the minicast? Jen responded she'd be happy to do that. Friday night of last week, about 10.30 at night, Jen had just gotten back home from a conference at uh, Salt Lake City. She had lost another day because of tropical storms in the Houston area. And 10 o'clock local time on a Friday night, Jen gets on the phone with me uh, in order to help me out with the podcast. You may have uh, heard me mention Jennifer Krieger on last week's minicast. You're going to hear her with her update on um, NCO this coming week. Jen and I have had a number of conversations looking uh, for ways to have her contribute regularly to the ESOP and EO podcast and minicast. And what we're uh, Uh, just taking a touch of time to do is figure out the ideal uh, information Jen can contribute that will benefit her, her firm, and her practice area. People can say whatever they want about developing their practice uh, in terms of appearing on the podcast. Uh, Quite frankly, it's thinking outside of the box. But to put this in perspective for you for going back to Tavo, wondering if they should attend conferences. Jen attended NCO. Jen made the connections. She has made appointments. She is furthering her practice development. Jen did not attend the multi-state conference. However, I talked about Jen on a podcast about the multi-state conference. As I record this just three days later, 120 people or so have heard my uh, report from the multi-state. Jen's been mentioned. Next week, similar number of people will hear Jen do her update from the NCO. Here's what I hope advisors understand. Jen certainly seems to understand. If a national conference sells out, they get 12 to 1,500 people. That includes advisors, employee owners, maybe up to 1,800. I can't remember the numbers. The EO, ESOP podcasts, and minicasts between Memorial Day 2019 and the time I'm recording this have had 8,700 individual unique listens. So as everybody's looking for how do you get to the conferences, how do you break out of the pack, And I'm going to have more information next week on the podcast. Keep in mind two things. I'm looking for content and qualified professionals and EO advocates to help share the stories of employee ownership. And second of all, you can get in front of as many people as a conference as physically you have the stamina to meet. And 8,700 people listen to the podcast just over the summer. So I hope you'll take some... uh, practice development advice, uh, wherever you can get them. I hope you look to uh, Jen Krieger, frankly, as a good example of just the grinding out, the, the networking does seem to work. And I hope as you consider what you'd like to do in the future, you'd remember me. I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership, and I'd love you to help me share these stories on the podcast. We have one final order of business before we go today.
0: We got tagged.
1: I want to give a sincere and excited thanks to the employee owners of AirPlus of California. They can be found on Twitter at AirPlusESOP. They own AirPlus. They're a residential heating and air conditioning uh, company since 1989, 100% employee-owned since 2013. They are preparing to celebrate employee ownership month in October. They're doing a lunch and learn, their topic, what's in it for me? Got to tell you, If you were a professional advisor who came to me and said, what's in it for me, I would not be impressed. But if you're an employee owner or an ESOP or EO company looking to find the best way to motivate employee owners, what's in it for them, I support that 100%. AirPlus of California, I hope you have a great employee ownership month. I hope you continue to post using the hashtag EOMESOP, and I hope you continue to tag the uh, podcast or me personally. We look forward to seeing what you're doing. I look forward to tagging you back. With that, Bitsy McCann, tell people how to find us, and let's wrap this podcast up. Thanks, everybody.
0: We'd love to hear from you. To contact us, find us on Facebook at Keysop LLC and on Twitter at Podcast. To reach Brett with one T, email brett at keesop.com, on LinkedIn at Brett Keesling, and most actively on Twitter at EO underscore Brett. Again, that's one T. This podcast has been produced by the Keesop Group. Technical assistance provided by Third Circle Inc. and Bitsy Plus Design. Original music composed by Max Keysling. Archival podcast material edited and produced by Brian Keesling, and I'm Vitzie McCann.
1: That's our podcast for today, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Brett Keesling.